Time code, 22 minuets, 20 seconds. Welcome to the Permanent Good Podcast, a podcast that's part movie club, part improv comedy. My name is Craig Wells, a.k.a. Permanent Handle. And I'm Alex Good, a.k.a. Alex Good. And I, I didn't even come prepared with any sort of witty banter for like even like the vague essence of an intro. Recently, we've been doing some like LaCroix-esque intros where it's like, it's not technically fruit water, but we call it fruit water. We haven't really been doing intros but they're kind of intros. I don't even have the energy for that today. So yeah, I mean, I think we should put in a moment of silence for something. Wait, this comes out after 9-11, right? (laughs) Yeah, yes, it does, I guess. There you go. You want to do a moment of silence? If you want, we don't even have to do it. You can insert the silence in here and just act like we did it. Well, the wild part is, is even if we did the moment of silence, the way I edit the podcast is I'll edit out the moment of silence and then manually add back in the moment of silence. So just for posterity, let's let's do our own moment. Okay. Okay, cool. Um, let's move on with the movie then. literally a moment. <laughs> let's move on to the movie then, I guess. <laughs> So this week, uh, we're doing Primal Fear, a 1996 crime drama, slash like court drama, courtroom drama. It's got uh, Richard Gere in it, freaking the OG of the 80s and 90s. Uh, Laura Linney, you might know from the Ozarks as uh, Zimam. This is Edward Norton's movie debut, and uh, a bunch of other people you probably don't know. I mean, Andre Browner is in this. He plays... uh, Captain Holt in Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Yes. And then there's a couple other people you may or may not know. But overall, very, very strong cast. But if you don't want to hear us talk about this movie, you can skip ahead to this time code right here. Time code, 22 minuets, 20 seconds. This is such a 90s movie. Ooh, this movie is oozing with 90s Yeah, when when we started it up, I'm like, oh, this feels like a 90s movie. But the thing is, it's not... It's not because 90s comedy has a specific flavor. This has that 90s drama flavor, which is something we don't do a lot very much on the podcast. Uh, 90s drama. And this is going to come through in my review of this movie as we keep moving forward. 90s drama in general is very stuffy. And this movie is very stuffy. And what I mean by that is not stuffy like it's filled with stuff. I mean stuffy like you open your grandma's attic for the first time in 30 years and there's just dust kind of like pouring in from all around you. This is the movie equivalent of that happening. There was a lot. I wouldn't even say there was a lot going on. It was just like a lot of the stuff I'm like, oh, this feels heavy. Yeah, it's slow. It takes it, it like overdramatizes everything. Yeah. And the thing, key thing about the 90s drama is everyone is trying their best to act as hard as possible. Yes. Oh, yes. Especially the dudes. The dudes are acting so hard in these <laughs> movies. They're, and like all, all of these 90s drama leads they're all the same kind of like in general this is this is kind of this is an archetype 
of that like uh, cigarette smoking, middle aged, not quite ready to retire, like super good at his job and is willing to do what it takes to get to get it done. Like that is every lead in these yeah. kinds of movies, and this movie is no different. Yeah, it's also got Richard Gere, which is this is like on the tail end of his boom in Hollywood. Like he does movies after this, but this is like at the end of his peak. So he is as charming as ever, which is weird because he has a lot of Me Too movements in this. A lot of, a lot of like I don't know if you should be doing that, my dude. Hey man, this is this is not going to be okay in about mm, twenty years. Like his character's actions. Yeah. Okay, I'm not familiar with uh, Richard Gere's. Uh, all I know about real life sentiments. So yeah, all I know about him is something about like a guinea pig or gerbil or something. Okay. Okay. <laughs> um. So here's the gist of this movie. Okay. Uh, Richard Gere is like this superstar attorney. Uh, named uh, Martin Vale and. He is kind of, he's kind of after the famous cases. He wants to do the big stuff. And so on the news, he sees this live police chase of the police chasing after this like kid pretty much. I don't know how old he is, but he's like no later than like 21 or something like that. Yeah, I think he's supposed to be 19. Yeah, that makes sense. And so uh Vale talks to this kid in jail takes the case and the case is pretty much like uh, Edward Norton's character, Aaron is being accused of killing an archbishop. However, Aaron has no recollection of it. He remembers being in the room when it happened and he remembers that the archbishop died. He blacked out, woke up with the blood all over him, ran from the cops. Yeah. And he so thinks there was another person there. He saw a shadow over the body, but doesn't know who that person was or where they went, or what happened. And so the movie is Vale, and I'm gonna, and I'm also gonna lump the the psychologist into this as well, into like trying to find the answers to this case because right. Vale believes that Aaron did not do it. So Vale is a sec- essentially playing detective here and trying to figure out who actually killed the archbishop. All while the case is happening. Yeah. So that's the thing is like, there's a lot of people coming up not wanting him to pursue this because the Archbishop was like, um, like well known and beloved in Chicago. So there's a lot of like people, I think it's in the DA's office who are like, you need to bury Vale, which is Richard Greer's character. Like you need to make sure that he does not get away with this. We want the death penalty for this guy. And we're like, we're not even sure he did it. And we're like, well, he was covered in blood and he ran away from the scene. So make sure he gets the death penalty. Like they're gunning for people. Um, it also, there's some like weird backstory where Richard Gear used to work for the DA's office. Um, yeah, for a guy so, named Shaughnessy, um, but end up leaving due to weird circumstances. And so the prosecuting attorney is played by Laura Linney, and her character's name is uh, Janet Venable, and she is still working at the DA, DA's office. She and Vale used to be co-workers and Vale has like always been trying to pressure her to leave the DA's office and so this case is kind of like filled with a lot of personal tension between Vale and Venable of like Venable thinks that Vale is in over his head Vale thinks that Venable is like this is a crooked case and she shouldn't be on it at all and there's a lot of like red tape conspiracy involving Shaughnessy and the Archbishop 
and investment bankers and all this nonsense. And so that's kind of the the tipping point of this movie is a relatively simple case gets increasingly more complex as the movie goes on. And I don't think that the complexity is bad. I think the movie needed this complexity. It's just that it's to you, the audience member, how many levels of complexity are you willing to handle? Yeah, for sure. This is one of those things that you need to be paying attention because there's a million things going on and they're all being taken very seriously and you don't find out what matters till like the end of the movie and then you look back and be like, wait, why was that happening? Yeah, and so here's kind of the pacing of this movie is it's a lot of character setup for so it's two hours 10 minutes there's a lot of character setup for the first 30 minutes then by minute 35 we are in court and then from that point onward it is bouncing between evidence gathering and in the courtroom um i enjoyed the court scenes i did too i like i really like courtroom dramas uh and so i think that this movie did the courtroom parts very well yeah anytime they left the courtroom i definitely like what are we doing out here are we already on trial and you're trying to figure (laughs) this out while we're on trial so anytime we left i'm like what could still be possibly happening and so the scene that really gave me that vibe was about i don't know maybe halfway two-thirds of the way through the movie um Vale and Goodman, who is Andre Bauer's character, are in an alley with this mysterious third dude who, let me be clear, I have no idea how we found him. They did a chase scene. They caught up to him in an alleyway. There was a confrontation. I just accepted it at that point. Yep. Where this third guy is like, I was at his house looking for a tape. And they're like, what tape? A sex tape. What kind of sex tape? A sex tape that the archbishop manufactured. And then I'm like, oh, oh, hold on. Time out, time out, time out. This is, hold on. This is coming out of nowhere. Yeah, it was weird, bro. It was weird. There's also a lot of scenes between Aaron and a psychiatrist because she's like, hey, we got someone. Obviously, they can't be connected to the DA's office, so they're not going to be like state approved. But this person's obviously an educator; they know what they're talking about. Um, they're, I mean, they're they're an academic rather. And so, a lot of scenes are just Aaron answering questions to a camera, being like, "When did these first start coming about? Do you think it's trauma related? Who is this girlfriend that you have a picture of?" And um, oh boy, does she love circling back to this girlfriend. It, they spent a lot of time onto it to the fact that I'm like, wait, should I care? Like, is this important? And the answer is not really. Not really. Not really is the answer. A lot, but the thing is, you don't find out what's important until the end when the movie's wrapping up and you're just asking yourself questions like, wait, did we just go through all that for like two of those details to be relevant? Like in the whole, as soon as the whole investment banking thing came around, I'm like, so is this important or am I, like, am I supposed to be paying attention? And, and so this is kind of a double-edged sword in, in that sense, because I'm a firm believer of not everything needs to be a Chekhov's gun. Because as soon as you introduce that everything's going to be a Chekhov's gun, I know that everything's going to circle back. And that kind of ruins the element of surprise. If you introduce something and I know it's coming back. I have to use it it if I introduced it. Exactly. Yes. And so I'm not against the idea of introducing details that end up not being used for the sake of creating a better surprise when things do come back around. I feel like 
nothing was brought back around with such intensity and reward that like it warranted all the little details. Yeah, there's a there's a lot of scenes. I wouldn't say there's a lot of scenes. There's a couple of scenes where you see Richard Gere um talking with a former client who he just won a settlement for. The guy's like in a gang. I don't know if there's a more formal name. He's the mafia, whatever. He's in some sort of organized crime. He's like, hey, you need to get out of the state. And he's being prosecuted by Shaughnessy. Um, but he won the settlement. And in the in the negotiations for the settlement, you're going to take this $1.5 million, but you got to leave the state. You got to leave. And guy's like, I'm not leaving. But there's also like some police intimidation in there. I'm really not sure what that was about. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So so let's let's do this then. Because uh, I can break that down for you. So Vale, like I said, rock star attorney, and he was known for dealing with shady people. So the movie starts with, like you said, this settlement deal of Vale negotiating a settlement on behalf of this gang leader. And like you said, $1.5 million and this gang leader needs to leave the state. And so he does not do so. And so he gets reintroduced into the story about halfway through. And it's this gang leader that's saying like, Okay, in this, the reason why I don't want to leave the state is because the area that I run is trying to kind of be bulldozed by the state. And it's being funded by the church, specifically the archbishop. And so Archbishop and Shaughnessy are these two big stakeholders in this essentially urban development program that this gang uh, shut down. And that's kind of why Shaughnessy was so adamant on protecting the Archbishop's image was because, like, he was kind of directly connected to this guy. Yeah, that makes sense. Which is Yeah. Okay. That makes a lot more sense. Um, Because it just seemed like Shaughnessy was a bad guy, and I didn't know why. And he is. Let's be clear. He is not a great guy. Yeah. But but there's a there's a little bit more like that gave him a little bit more background to it. Gotcha. Yeah. I mean, like all in all, so Ed Norton is playing a kid who you find out. Are we doing spoilers? Yeah. So just a little bit of spoilers. Let's pivot into that. Let's talk about the big thing that we haven't talked about yet. We're 15 minutes in. Hey move on okay um, not the we're, okay so the reason he is having these things is because he gets diagnosed with multiple personality disorder because in the middle of an interrogation he freaking snaps yes yeah so today we call it did but you know the movie refers to it as multiple personality disorder where uh under intense stress aaron uh goes to the back of the mind and the altered roy comes up front and Roy is much more aggressive. He doesn't have the same stutter that Aaron does. And uh, he kind of considers himself like Aaron's get it done, man. Like when Aaron can't handle it, Roy is the one that is willing to get blood on his hands. But Aaron doesn't know Roy exists. He just blacks out. And this happens about two thirds of the way through the movie. So the last 40 minutes of the movie is Vale pivoting from Aaron didn't do this to Oh, he definitely did it, but like we, you can't introduce an insanity plea after you've been arguing the whole time that there's another guy that did it. You can't be like, oh, never mind, he actually did do it. Um, but I just didn't know because the case was like I'm still gathering evidence as the case is going on, so I didn't know. Also, oh, just for the record, I think you actually can do that. <laughs> um, I think when new evidence comes to light, especially with, especially with. 
like a psychological evaluation. Like there's a point in the movie where uh, the prosecution is like, oh, we can't take your word for it because you don't have forensics background. You're only an academic. And I'm like, yeah, still a better academic than I am. Yeah, this seems weird. So I'm like, so can we just put this on pause and start over? Like, I don't know what to tell you. And then she's like, well, what's your evidence? I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, do you need to watch a video of him trying to kill somebody else? Like, what's going on? And I personally, I have a lot of gripes with this movie because I really don't like it when DID is used as like a plot twist. I think this... Uh, was the first people this happened in 96 i think this was the first people to do it yeah and so i am not i'm not too upset about that because like you said the conversation about did is still very complicated to this day 25 years ago they were like it was like oh the cool new shiny thing um yeah i think also this movie like introduced it to a lot of people like a lot yeah i bet you a lot of people everyone in this movie is like yeah sure it's a real thing what are you talking about? But now we've watched enough movies about it that we're like, oh, yeah, it's totally a real thing. It might be super rare, but it's real. And so the two things that I think that, like, maybe it's not this movie's fault, but I don't think that it really hasn't aged well despite the fact is, you know, the painting of people with DID as criminals is kind of not a great thing to portray. And then the thing that happens at the very end kind of makes all of this for not and i think is i'm really not even comfortable talking about that because i feel like it would ruin it so what i'm gonna say is i think this movie takes a lot of big swings and i think it, it it succeeds in some places and it doesn't in others i think this movie for the most part is kind of boring i think Ed Norton does a fantastic job at acting. It's his breakout role. He gets an Oscar nom for it. And I think it's deserved. This is one of the few instances where I look at Ed Norton's acting, not his specifically, but an actor's performance. And I go, I don't like the character you are portraying. And I also don't like how you're portraying him. That being said, I know that you are not like this. Therefore, by definition, this is a good acting job. You have done such a great job separating yourself from this. Perfect. Yeah, exactly. Exactly, dude. It's when you watch a movie with a bad guy and you hate that guy. And then and like, you walk Ed away Norton's and be like, oh. Performance, yeah. Ed Norton's performance saves the bad writing of the character, in my opinion. Yeah. This this character did not have a lot going. To the point where like halfway through the movie, um, I'm like, Richard Gere is freaking killing it right now. He is, he is acting his pants off. It's going well. Like I'm believing everything he's saying. But Ed Norton is annoying me. I'm like, I don't feel like, I don't know if he's not acting very well or what. And I think you can chalk it up to writing. And it gets better towards the end. But when I looked up, I'm like, how did he get the Oscar nom? I think it's just because it was a good movie. But I don't, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about Ed Norton's acting in this. It okay, feels that's weird. Um, what I, I'm going to, I'm going to leave it on this, which is, hey, if you want to watch a 90s law drama, Watch Philadelphia. <laughs> I like this movie way more than Philadelphia. Nah, I, I, I know. I like Philadelphia a lot more. But this isn't a Philadelphia review. Um, <laughs> just the I think entire, if you like the 90s re- law dramas, this is top three. Yeah. So 
what I will, I'll say this is the entire time I was watching this, I could not stop thinking about Philadelphia, which is this movie feels extremely like that movie in terms of aesthetic and tone, but I just liked the way Philadelphia did it better. And I haven't seen that movie in a while, so I can't exactly cite the reasons why. I think that maybe Tom Hanks just pulled his weight in acting a little bit more than Ed Norton did. And I would say that Denzel and Richard Gere are are probably, you know, neck and neck in terms of, you know, attorney acting. 100%. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's, I like this one more than Philadelphia. There's also another law drama um, from the nineties and that's a few good men with Tom Cruise and Jack Nicholson. So you watch all three of these and let us know of the three, which one's your favorite? Because uh, what I will say is maybe don't watch them back to back to back because you might get a little drunk on the aesthetic pretty quick. You might be a little (laughs) nineties out. Very quickly. You're going to be halfway through the second movie and be like, I am over this. Yeah. So I'm giving this a flat five. I just like, I don't know. I, the, the last 90 seconds of this movie ruined a lot of it for me. I think the last 90 seconds of this movie dropped it a whole point for me. Okay. So that's weird because it boosted it half a point for me. Yeah. I'm like, oh, thank God there was more to this movie. But the thing is, like, audience, so just watch the whole movie front to back. Let us know what you think. Um, I'm giving it a seven and a half. Okay. I like the 90s aesthetic. We don't do it for, we don't, I like 90s, yeah, comedy, drama, all the aesthetics of the 90s. I think action is hard to hold up, but 90s comedy, 90s drama, I like it a lot. Um, Mm -hmm. So that wasn't a big takeaway for me. Ed Norton's acting was iffy, but Laura Linney and Richard Gere freaking put this movie on their backs and they did a great job both of them um so yeah i'm giving it a seven half seven and a half i recommend people watch it it's not a movie that anybody talks about anymore so i think you (laughs) won't know what's coming sure yeah for sure unless somebody specifically pulls you aside and says hey here's the plot twist to primal fear uh it's not it's not referenced a lot, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. What I will say, though, is another thing that this movie did not have going for it is that it's on Showtime, and Showtime is my least favorite streaming platform. The yeah. Xbox app constantly crashes, and the website version just sucks. Yeah, I cast it. it. Just, I have the app on my phone. I just cast it to my TV. Yeah. I had to, like, never before have I had to, like, go in to a website's subtitle settings to try to make it just a little bit better. It's rough. Yeah, the subtitles are rough. So that being said, it's on Showtime, so none of you are actually going to watch it. <laughs> yeah. But if you get around to it, I think it's worth your time. Yeah. Okay. Um, We're going to move on to our improv segment. This is... I'm officially call I'm officially going to say that this is part of PR training. Um so but this is a very specified version of PR training where Alex are you keeping up with all of the news around don't worry darling? Um I read about it like on Thursday or Friday. I'm not I don't know exactly what's going on, but I know enough. Okay. Do you want me to talk so, about it for a second just so you know what I know? No, it's fine okay. because what we're going to be doing for this uh, this version of PR training is I'm you are going to be the PR representative for Don't Worry Darling, oh, and geez. I'm just gonna feed you some of these controversies, and you gotta spin these bad boys. And I gotta all right, this like Olivia Wilde. <laughs> yeah. All right. Okay. Okay. And um, for our, do you for wanna... you, those of you who don't know, um, Don't Worry Darling is a new movie coming out. It stars Harry Styles and Florence Pugh. 
it's either directed by Olivia Wilde. It is directed by Olivia Wilde. Yeah. yeah. And it's been having a lot of controversy. It's coming out soon. Yeah, end of the month. I'm assuming a lot of the headlines you're using, line of questioning you're using, is based off the real controversy that's going on. Yeah, so there's lots of stuff going on, and you'll catch on real fast, okay? Okay. Alex, are you, um, (laughs) do you want to be like an unnamed PR rep, or do you want to specifically be Olivia Wilde? (laughs) I'll be unnamed PR rep. Okay, just had to ask. I just had to ask. <laughs> Hello, everybody. Okay. Um, so I just want to open up this conference. Super excited to promote this movie. As you know, it's coming out very soon. Um, you can call me unnamed PR rep, <laughs> and I'm happy to answer any of your questions. Yeah. Um, hi, this is Tom from E News, and uh, I just wanted to say, you know, uh, back uh, when the movie was in uh, pre-production, yeah. Olivia Wilde had stated that Shia LaBeouf had. Uh, Anger, or that Shia LaBeouf had been fired from the set of Don't Worry Darling. Uh, recently, it's uh, been revealed that Shia LaBeouf left on his own accord and that Olivia Wilde was practically begging to bring him back. Do you have anything to say about that specifically? So, as you know, talent is hard to manage. You know, I think there was probably some unmet expectations on Shia's part. Um, I know he was kind of, he enjoyed this project while he was on it. Um which, if I recall, if I look, it wasn't very long. It that wasn't was very on. long. I think we had just shot a couple scenes, or were still in negotiations to shoot before shooting. It was early on. Um, I think we just didn't have a good character fit. Um, so, although it, I know a lot of people are saying he's fired and we wanted him back, it was a mutual ending. Um, I think he had some other project lined up anyway. Um, but we were happy to accommodate whatever was okay. going on. Okay. Okay. Side note, PR rep is a liar. Okay, got it, got it, got it. All right, uh, next question. Um, Florence Pugh specifically has been uh, making a lot of uh, not positive statements about this movie, uh, specifically stating that she thinks her character has been reduced only to her sex scenes. Um, with the movie not being out yet, is there anything that you can say regarding uh, this sentiment? Um, so I know a lot of people are saying, well, Florence Pugh has been posting a lot about this movie. Um, she obviously should be involved in the press. It's not her responsibility. We did not make her or a lot of the other lead actors sign mandatory uh, interviews or press releases for this movie. I think the merits of this movie stand for itself. So a lot of people are reading into her silence as some sort of like disagreement or her being upset with the production. That is not the case. Uh, as far as her part being reduced, I wasn't obviously a part of the editing uh, and production for the cutting floor. Um, I can promise you that there is serious substance to her character um, and the audience will enjoy what they do see of her. Alex, you were trying way too hard. <laughs> I am trying my best. This guy's going <laughs> to lose his job after this conference anyway. Yeah. <laughs> All right. The second half of this character is going to be me realizing I'm going to lose my job and I'm going to start being real. Okay. Okay. Um, Yeah. So I also am aware that um, Olivia Wilde, you know, is in this movie as well. But I also heard that uh, she fired an actress right before filming just so that she could have that role. Do you have any comment about uh, about that at all? Hey, uh, guy, do we know if Olivia is going to be watching this? She's not. Hey, man, let me be real. Can I be real with you guys? Please, yeah. Uh, Olivia's really just like Ellen. 
nobody enjoys working with her. Um, she's just writing the checks and we're letting her do basically whatever she wants. Um, so as you might know that she has a relationship with Harry, of course she does. You know, the guy, she's just dating the most attractive people on set, which is why a lot of people are thinking she got rid of Shia's because she wanted to give her boyfriend a job. Who knows? You know, I just know that she wasn't super nice. And I think she inserted herself into production because I think she got some serious FOMO. I think she knew she was directing a pretty decent movie and wanted to be in it. And that's pretty much how that broke down. Okay. Okay. Uh, Can you uh, maybe speak a little bit more on the onset environment there? Like what was kind of the atmosphere on set? Well, first of all, I didn't know that all the actors, instead of headshots, had to send in nudes. So that was pretty much like <laughs> uncalled. That was pretty uncalled for. Um, thankfully, I'm not the talent, but we are getting sued up the wazoo, dude. Um, to be honest, I think Shia kind of started something when he left. And uh, I'm really surprised half of our cast is still here. Uh, as far as the sex scenes that we are putting out, let me tell you, we are currently in litigation and we need to get this out. Movie. This movie needs to come out immediately because we are not going to be able to afford all the amount of, you know, suing and lawsuits that are coming our way if we don't make <laughs> money tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, um, and uh, the one final question I have right now is uh, a lot of people are worried about uh, Harry Styles' is, uh, acting in this movie. Uh, some clips have uh, surfaced from the movie that aren't exactly inspiring confidence, and a lot of people are... Uh, saying that this is just stunt casting and that he really doesn't have any merit to be in this movie. Uh, what what can you say about that? Oh, you're right. Totally. Those guys are 100% right. <laughs> Here's the thing. Uh, he was in Dunkirk, barely had any lines. And then recently, he just came out and said, uh, acting's way harder than I thought, and I think I'm doing a bad job. But we had already booked him for the role and got rid of the guy before him. So what are we supposed to do? I think we're hoping that a lot of people come, like teenage, like young adult women come because he's in it. And we just hope for the freaking best. Because once you buy your ticket, I don't care if you walk out. But we really need to fill these seats. And hopefully his name is enough. Okay. uh, So just to kind of wrap things up, like, do you have any final sentiments yourself about, like, you know, if people should see this movie, what people should expect from this movie, anything like that? I think it would be a win-win. If they all pre-ordered tickets and then just didn't go because that way we can, you know, get our nut on this movie and, you know, pay everybody back and you don't have to worry about like, well, what about the sound guy and the and the boom operator and all of them? They're going to get paid. All right. But also you don't have to worry about seeing this movie. And then we also don't put pressure on the people running the movie theaters because you want to rush in and see if Harry Styles is naked and for how long, you know, we don't want to have to worry about that. So pre-order your tickets, don't go, or pre-order your tickets for this, and then also go see Bullet Train. Okay, uh, thank you. Uh, This has been a very informative conference. I will make sure to write a letter of recommendation when you get fired. Oh, thank you. I am currently looking for a job. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man, I am so... Dude, I'm just excited I don't have to pay to see that movie. (laughs) Because at this point, it's a coin flip. Listen, drama or not, that movie was going to be a coin flip anyway, right? Yeah, I think we can all bank on the fact that it's not going to be good. I just want to know how bad it is or in what way it is bad. So yeah, you have to let uh, listen, me know. So here are the three reasons I'm going in order. One, Chris Pine. 
Love him to death. One. Two, right. Florence Pugh. I just gotta know what the deal is, right? At the very least, what's the deal? And then three, why is Nick Kroll in that movie? Dude, I why don't know. Why is Nick Kroll in this movie? Who <laughs> freaking knows? Um, I mean, dude... I'm going to look through Olivia Wilde real quick as a director. I, just, I think it's just this and Booksmart. Because Booksmart was good. Right. Booksmart was really good. Yeah, it's just, it's tricky because I don't know anybody who's honestly interested in this movie. Um, oh, I see a lot about it. I But the thing is... I don't know if anybody's interested in this movie or if anybody's just or if everybody that I see is just interested in the drama around this movie. Okay. Also, Warner Brothers put out a statement that they only have enough money to put out this movie and Black Adam for the rest of the year. Wow. And I'm just kind of like the only reason you're releasing Don't Worry Darling this year is because it's too close to not release it. Yeah, it's just, this is 100% going to make its way to streaming services, so I'll just watch it then, I guess. For sure, yeah, and I'll talk about it when I see it. But Alex, what's our middle segment? Our middle segment is something we haven't done in a very long time. In a very long time, we've only done it one other time. It's called Permanent Good, Private Eye, PGPE. It's when I ask you a bunch of questions, and I deduce something about you. This is like a questionnaire of super obscure things. Think Myers-Briggs meets Sherlock Holmes. Is this going to end the way it did last time? I don't... Dude, it's completely up to you. It depends on how you answer those questions. Okay. But I I do sense something in you, and I'm going to ask some follow-up questions, and I'm going to deduce from that something you didn't even know about yourself. I'm so excited, because... Last time I learned that, what, I was like equivalent to the Pacific Ocean or something like that. Exactly. So, yes, yeah, so let's let's get deep, deep into it. Okay. What is your preferred method of alternate transportation? So we'll go with... Train. Okay. Train it is. Because, listen, hear me out, okay? Yep. Um, not as uncomfortable. It is more comfortable than a plane, and they usually have Wi-Fi the seats are bigger. There's like a better bat. It is better than planes in every way except speed. So trains. Interesting. I'm glad you broke down why. That helps a lot. Better at everything. Here, I'm going to do this for ASMR purposes. Okay. Better. Yeah, make sure you remove your pop filter. Get all those little crackles. At everything except speed. Okay. Um, what is your least favorite letter and why? You, um, the Brits use it too much and I will take any opportunity to knock them down a peg. Use it too much. Um, is there anything else that they use too much besides you? Yeah, global conquest. That was kind of a bit of a problem they had. Just Would general, you, you know, take artifact global theft. conquest over you or you over global conquest? Which one's worse? The U, probably the U. Because I can't change the gl- the global conquest. That already happened. You know, we, we still have time to knock the U out of their vocabulary. Okay, interesting. That might throw a wrench in things, but we'll see. Um, Most amount of rings you would wear at one time. Two? One on each hand? Classy move. That might have been the right answer. Uh, When's the last time you bought shoes? Like a month ago, I think. Interesting. I needed new work shoes. They were falling apart. If Also, if this helps for the evaluation, they were the exact same brand. In the ex- they were the exact same shoe, just new, because c- they had fallen apart. Okay. Um, Is your credit score 
over or under 625? I don't know. Unknown. Listen, credit score is fake, okay? Okay. It only Listen, hey, they only trap you with a credit score if you believe in it, okay? All you got to do is not participate in the system, and then they can't trap you in the system. Anyway, I'm going to go live off the grid. Do you want a tinfoil hat? Well, on my way out? A uh, couple more questions before you go. Okay. Okay. Um, rank the following. Staplers, scissors, scotch tape, whiteout. Staplers, scotch tape, scissors, whiteout. Wow. What an original take. All right. Top three reptiles. Just in general? In general. Favorite. Okay. Number one, bearded dragons. All right? Bearded dragons. Um, so, because, like, they don't really hurt you. Uh, they kind of just because they laze around all day. You get a bearded dragon, you put them under like a heat lamp, you get them some crickets. They are content, and th- and I respect the heck out of that. Okay, love that. Mm-hmm. Okay, step number or uh, lizard number two, chameleon. Obvious reasons can change colors, uh, and that's just cool. All right. Yeah. And uh, number three, I'm gonna look something up to see if it counts as a lizard. Doesn't have to be a lizard. It needs to be a reptile. Oh, that's what I meant to say. Hmm. Can I count axolotls? Axolotls. They're kind of like salamon. They're kind of like salamanders. I'm just gonna put down salamander. Actually, those are amphibians. Can amphibians so. not be? Are are they mutually exclusive? Yeah, unfortunately. Oh. Okay. Um. Then did you say salamanders are also amphibians? Yep. Well, no way. Really? Yeah. Now that, whoa! It's not that I didn't believe you. I'm just like surprised. Hey, gang, let's, hey, gather in for a second, all right? Let's uh, sit down, crisscross apple, you know, I learned something today. (laughs) I didn't expect that to happen, all right? Normally when I learn something, I'm like, ah, cool, whatever. But like, I'm kind of taking up, I thought salamanders were were reptiles. Hold on, this is kind of changing my entire worldview. Yeah, Um, they are in fact amphibians, I just Googled it. um, Well, um, so I said Komodo dragon, or no, I said bearded dragons. Yep. Then I said chameleon chameleons um dude i think we just gotta put some respect on the turtle name right yeah that was a good take um big fan of turtle especially the teenage kind i know a lot of people are gonna be like oh but snakes but snake listen if you're a snake person i am not gonna shame that i however because snake people are scary i have a boundary with snakes. Snakes are a big boundary of mine. And I'm glad that you are there to keep the snakes company so that I don't have to. I am so happy that there is someone that I can call and be like, hey, take care of this snake for me. I love that that is an option that I have. So not on my personal list. I'm glad it's on somebody else's. You want me to take care of a turtle for you? I will take care of that turtle like nobody's business. All right. Turtles. Yep. So, so those are my, that's my top three. You'd almost expect this whole segment was about reptiles. It's not, there's still more to go. Carry on. Final three questions. The oldest celebrity that you find attractive. Would you like to know mine? Yes, I would like to. Meryl Streep, 73. She can get it any day, bro. And I ran by Macy. I think mine is Laura Dern. Okay. Well, she's not old. She's older than us. Right. You are so right. Let me let me look real quick. Uh, Sigourney Weaver is oh, up there. Oh, banger. 73 as well. Yeah. Had um, that memorized because so that- <laughs> she was my number two. <laughs> <laughs> um, Sigourney Weaver is up there. 
Um, I mean, I was recently reminded, unfortunately she passed away, so maybe this is in bad taste bringing this up, but, uh, Nichelle, uh, Nichelle Nichols, who played Lieutenant Uhura on Star Trek, um, she is, yeah, if you look her up, like, her on Star Trek is just like, oh man, yep, like, but the tricky thing is, I'm talking about, like, oldest, we can't, you can't look it back then. It's oh, the oldest um, woman you find attractive. What was that movie called? Um, the woman who was in uh, Bye Bye Birdie. Yeah. Yup. And she didn't Margaret. Age super well. Um, um, but she's not unattractive. So I think I think the base answer is Sigourney Weaver. If I come up with that, that's a good one. Answer. That's a, that's a solid answer. I would take that. Uh, for mine as well. All right, final two questions and they're tied together. What is in the 12 years of schooling? We'll include kindergarten, so 12 plus one. Um, best year Way of school? Um, junior year. Of high school? Yep. Okay. Mm-hmm. Because just got your license, probably have a job. Can I can I be specific and say the year, the summer between sophomore and junior year? That is peak high school because you know you first get your car you get your first job you you know hopefully you don't have any bills so like that is peak like goof off time it's the summer after sophomore year and the summer after senior year are the two times where it's like hopefully it is like the time you get to be young okay and final question what were your approximate grades in that year? Ooh, that's when I started to fall off. Um, I think I still managed to B it up. B's across year. the board. Yeah, except Minuses, for choirs. averages, pluses. Yeah. Just across the board. All right, Craig. I've done some deduction. Did you know people that didn't get an A in choir? Yeah. It's the people yeah. who skipped concerts. Yeah. Because... Our choir director was pretty lenient in terms of participation. Like, as long as you weren't actively causing a disruption, you were getting an A. But like, like you said, it was the and people even if that you were, skipped concerts. Yeah, because I and even if you were, even if you were, you had to be funny about it. She appreciated. Yeah. She appreciated the fact that we were young and we just wanted to kind of have a good time. So as long as we weren't being mean, we were fine. Yeah. Worst case scenario, you just have a silent rehearsal. Those were the worst. Oh, my God. Ooh, my social anxiety did not handle those well. Did we have many? I don't think we had many silent rehearsals when you and I were in choir together. No, because we were the problem. So when we were like, oh, this is getting pretty bad when we stopped, that was like 80% of the problem that just went away. We were very self-aware. We had we had our choir director's BS meter so finely tuned by like November of the school year. So at that point forward, we knew when we were approaching that area and we knew exactly when to back off. Yeah, dude. In previous years, I got pulled aside being like, why are you friends with people? They're horrible students. I'm like, hey, man. I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to, and then, you know, and then let's not forget when you got pulled over and said, Hey, don't do this to Craig. Okay. Are you ready for your results? Uh, yeah. Okay. You are a bow tie. All right. Now here's how we got here, Craig. Yeah. You, I was going to give you, you know, alternatives for your preferred method of alternate transportation, but you just came off the bat with train. And your reasoning was it's more comfortable than plane and just better than planes in every way. 
except for speed. And let me tell you, what is bow ties main competitor? Neckties. And a lot of people are making the argument, well, neckties are more like fast. Well, first of all, they're easier to tie. They're faster to tie. More people are using them now. But if we go back in time a little bit, a little bit classier, a little bit more old timey, a little bit more, you know, sophisticated is the train, AKA the bow tie. Now, here's where you really threw me for a loop. Cause when I asked you what your favorite or least favorite letter was, you said you, because the Brits use it too much. Now we both know the Brits use bow ties way more than Americans. So that okay. was kind of all over the place. But then you said the Brits also very bad thing. They do global conquest. And do you know where we got the necktie from the Brits? And you said you would slightly prefer Global Conquest over you. However, Global Conquest already getting all the news. You just wanted to attack a new enemy. Very bow tie of you. Now, what I was not expecting is when I said the most amount of rings you would have, you said one in each hand, which is the right answer. Now, I was leaning more towards belt for that because there's a lot of rules for belts as far as matching them to your watch leather and your shoes. But when you said one in each hand, a man who is in the belts only does one, period. Bow ties, a little extra, a little flair to it, therefore one on each hand. Now, last time you bought shoes was a month ago, but really you were just replacing the shoes you originally had. Now this is a very utilitarian decision. This is, I have a purpose. This thing is a tool. It is not purely for fashion. I need this for work purposes and I will not replace it too soon. Some might say, the knots are very similar to that. It comes from a Navy tradition, knot making and memorization and wet knots and dry knots and all those things. Very utilitarian and especially useful in bow ties. Then we went over to credit score and you just straight up just didn't know what yours was. <laughs> you <were> the over <laughs> 625 and you said unknown. And then when a, and you know a long conspiracy uh, about how it didn't matter. But what you did say is you didn't want to participate in the system. And if we know anything about ties... It's the expectation. When you wear a suit, you yeah. wear a tie. When you go to a wedding, you wear a necktie. When it's a white white tie event, black tie event, everyone knows it's necktie. It's the rule. Unless, of course, it's tuxedos, but no, we're not attending those. But you said you didn't want to participate in the system. So a way to sidestep the necktie system is the bow tie. Now, I just want to say real quick, though, if I were to show up to a tie event wearing a bow tie instead of a regular tie, the entire time I would only be able to focus on the fact that I am wearing a bow tie. Like every the conversation, thing is, I'm not saying I that you having... would wear bow ties. I'm saying that you are a bow tie. I feel like that's an insult somehow. And I'm still discerning if it is or not. I will decide by the end. Carry on. Okay. So you rank stapler, scissors, tape, and whiteout in the following order. Staplers, number one. Scotch tape, number two. Scissors, three. Whiteout, four. Interesting that you picked the three things. Well, actually, I think we need to really jump into this. So staplers, number one. Yeah, okay. Very unusual. Staplers, staplers over scotch tape break this down for me i need a little bit more explanation okay i'm looking at it mostly as a toy okay because do you ever like just do you ever just take a stapler i would oh listen i was not a maniac that stapled my hand okay if you did that seek help now if 
<laughs> but I would just, you know, staples are cheap. So sometimes I would just take the stapler and then I just kind of smash it a few times and just watch all these dead staples kind of like fall out of the little area they have. And then you unbend the, or yeah, you unbend the stapler. Now you have like a little staple gun. You press it. It doesn't go any f- very far because it doesn't have, you know, momentum. But it's still kind of fun to watch all the staples just drop. So that was just fun. Two, scotch tape. You ever take your thumb, put it on the sticky side of a scotch tape, and you kind of just watch all the oils like get peeled off from your skin and you have that, uh, that little thumbprint right there? I used to do that all the time to the point where my skin was dangerously dry. And, um... <sighs> You know, you kind of do that on some of the hairier parts of your body and you kind of just feel it. Not you wouldn't pull it out fast enough to rip off the hair, but you would do it so you could feel it. All right. And that's what this is all about is feeling something for once in your life. And then putting scissors at three wasn't about putting scissors at three. It was about putting whiteout at four because I hate whiteout. Ooh, I hate whiteout because... Because you put whiteout on, you still see the mistake, all right? You, at that point, you may as well just throw out the whole paper. Time to start over. So, whiteout, you and I, we got beef. Anyway, carry on. So next, you said <laughs> your top three favorite <laughs> reptiles. This one <laughs> had some deliberation. So, bearded dragon, chameleon, turtle. No particular order, but probably in that order. Um... Uh, this couldn't be a more bow tie er answer if you tried. It's the most bow tie answer. Uh, let's talk about what you left out. Snakes, noticeably, obviously, and on purpose. You you did it on purpose. You, you yeah, went on we a long that diatribe about We don't need to snakes. rehash this. You also left out crocodiles and alligators. Yeah, it's because Andrew was the crocodile guy. Andrew loved Steve Irwin. And I'm like, hey, I respect the I respect the practice, but not for me. But I'm just saying, like, those are when people think of reptiles, those are what they think of. And just lizards in general, but crocodiles, turtles, and snakes are the big three. And you pick turtle last after trying to sneak in some amphibians. Now that is the most <laughs> bow tie thing I've ever heard in my entire life. <laughs> Uh, all the celebrity you find attractive, Sigourney Weaver, I mean, what a dime piece, you know? I, honestly, I'm impressed that you came up with something. Um, I'm impressed that it was a good answer. And the reason you got bow tie for that is because if you Google Sigourney Weaver bow tie, a few things came up. Next, <laughs> best grade of school. You said junior year, but more specifically the summer between sophomore and junior year where you averaged Bs pretty much across the board, except for the free B, which happened to be an A, so it's free A, but that's whatever. Besides the point. Now, what does bow tie start with? B. Yeah. And that's why you, after these 10 questions, are a bow tie. Okay. Um, yeah. All right. And that concludes permanent good private eye. E-Y-E, by the way. Private eye. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, well, I mean, when you break it down like that, I don't think I could disagree with you, even if I tried. So I'm not gonna try. And instead, we're just gonna move on to our one hit wonder. Beautiful. What you got? (laughs) So this is like, hey, gang, this is a patented Craig one hit wonder, because this is going to be a one hit wonder that upsets Alex. And it's going to upset Alex, or it's going to upset Alex for the next week. One hit wonder, I knew 
oh, I'm going to hate this then. Yeah. So this is called Pick Your Poison. And because before we started recording, uh, Alex asked me, oh, what are we watching next week? And I said, we'll get to it. Um, And this is why. Because if you recall, uh, last week we watched Redline because it was our patented one anime movie per year that I am allowed to bring to the table. Mm -hmm. We didn't watch an anime movie in 2021 at all. Not a single one. So I'm cashing that chip in now. I mean, semantics, bro. I think it should be one per season, but semantics. So what I am doing here is I want, I'm trying so hard to find an anime movie you like. And we discussed this already. So what I have done is the problem that I've had is that I keep trying to think for you. All right. I like, what would Alex like? So I'm not going to do that anymore. All right. I have, I Googled best anime movies for people that don't like anime straight up. All right. And this, and I've curated seven from that list and we are going to discuss them. I want you to Google them. I want you to ask me questions and we are going to find the one that we will watch next week. The first one that I have pulled up is Akira. Are you familiar with Akira at all? Uh, I think I've heard of it. Okay. Very cyberpunk. A lot. Like it, It's kind of equated as like the Blade Runner of anime movies. All right. And Akira is, I'm going to say it, the most iconic anime movie. You've probably seen Akira references and didn't know it was Akira. It's very slow. And, and like, you know, eight out of 10 on IMDb, 91% Rotten Tomatoes. It is like it also it came on eighty eight. Yes, and so what this movie is known for is it is known for the plot maybe not being there altogether, maybe a little complicated, a little confusing, but for being one of the most beautiful animated movies of all time. Uh, this movie is very lovingly crafted uh, because it was made in the eighties. You know, pretty much all the frames are hand drawn. Um, and they are drawn very specifically and it has that cyberpunk aesthetic to it. All right. Uh, the next one that I have pulled up is uh, grave of the fireflies. This is one of those movies. That's like, I haven't seen all of these. So like a lot of this is I'm going from reputation. Um, is this is one of those movies that like, if you don't cry at this movie, you don't have emotions kind of movies where, um, hear me out. Yeah. This is not the one. Okay. All right. I just wanted I'm to make sure. I'm not looking for, I'm not crying during anime. It's not happening. So okay. all the ones that depend on emotional connection, we need to get those out of here. That was, that was the only one I pulled up with that in mind. All okay. right. So the next one that I have pulled up is called Paprika. It's 2006. And this one is described as the inception of anime movies. Uh, it has a lot to do with like dreams and dreams being morphed into real life. And so this movie has a lot to do with um, the surrealism that is included in bringing dreams to life. So this one's going to be a little weird. It's going to be a little out there. Um, but that's kind of the point of that movie is like visualizing dreams. When did this movie come out? I'm having trouble. 2006. Finding. 2006. All right, let's look it up on the IMDb. All right, hour and 30 minutes. How's that going for it? When a machine that allows therapists to enter their patients' dreams is stolen, all hell breaks loose. Okay, 2006, 7.7 out of 10 on IMDb. 
be... 85% on Rotten Tomatoes. Hmm. Okay, so you keep looking through that, and I'll bring up the next one. Okay, um, so I think it's between the first one and Akira this. and Paprika. Okay, so next is uh, Ghost in the Shell Standalone Complex, Solid State Society. So... Ghost in the Shell is my favorite anime. I love Ghost in the Shell. Um, Solid State Society is a standalone movie. It is... I would not have us watch the original movie. That movie is way too dense. This is also 2006. This is an action movie. This one's a little bit closer to The Matrix. Um, uh, People have like their consciousness plugged into essentially cyborg bodies. And it's basically living in a cybernetic future where a lot of people have these cyborg enhancements. Some people are, you know, like the main character, just kind of all robot. And uh, she works for a section of the police where she handles specifically cybernetic crimes. And it's a this uh, physical and digital blend of action. Okay, so this is my hang up on this. The digital action has to be well done. Yeah, sure. Um, the digital action isn't so much... At th- we spend very little time in like the digital aspect, right? It's just kind of like, hey, people are plugged into robots. It'll play a part later. Um, A lot of it is hand-to-hand combat. All right. I'm leaning towards Ghost in the Shell because I know it was remade into a movie with ScarJo. And if it's good enough to be remade into a live-action movie and have Scarlett Johansson in it, usually means the anime had, like, wide appeal. Yes. And was liked by a lot of people. And that makes me more willing to take that chance. Okay. Next is... Evangelion 1.0 and so Evangelion was an anime series that they made several movies based on and a lot of it is it's it kind of brought the Gundam genre to a a modern audience so it's another action anime but uh, Pacific Rim Pacific Rim anime okay definitely not okay all right and then the last one I have is uh, Princess Mononoke uh, this is a Ghibli movie, and Ghibli is oh, kind of like... Oh, I don't like Studio Ghibli movies. All right, then off the table. We don't have to worry about that. So we've narrowed it down between Akira, Paprika, and Solid State Society. Right. Do you want to do some more research? Do you want to ask some questions? What are you feeling? So here's... I mean, this is not how you're supposed to judge movies, but I think the newer ones are going to be better, and Akira's 88, Paprika's 91... And Ghost in Shell's 2006, which is I'm going to tell you right now, Akira is going to be like the history lesson movie, right? Yeah. Like you're going to watch that that movie and you're going to be like, you're going to like, I need to sit down and appreciate the cinema behind Akira. All right. I'm just scrolling through images. Sure. Of Akira. Okay. Doesn't look bad. Let me do the same thing with Paprika. Um, When did Paprika come out again? I think I clicked on 2006. Gotcha. All right. Scroll through some stills. See what we got going on. All right. I'm seeing a guy at a bar. I'm seeing some weird scenes. with looks like needles and acupuncture. This movie looks trippy AF because, of course, it's taking place in dreams. Um, And I think I'm going to be weirded out. So we're going to go no on this one. So it's between Akira and Ghost in the Shell. Okay. 
and scrolling through Ghost in the Shell. Got a lot of gray tones, a lot of green tones for the Matrix vibe. I'm going to have to le- leave it up to you as far as action. Which one has more? Akira, Ghost in the Shell. It's going to be it's gonna oh. be Ghost in the Shell. Okay. Also, I just looked. Akira is two hours, four minutes. Ghost in the Shell, hour 48. Um, I have No, sorry. I have to be very... Sorry. I want to make sure that this is clear. We're not watching the original Ghost in the Shell. We're watching yeah, a, Ghost in a Shell, Standalone one. Complex, Solid State Society. Yeah. And so that... The, um, the version I have says that it's two hours three. So oh. I think they're the same length. Okay. Here's what we'll do. Okay. Which one is easier to watch? Is Are either one of them on a stream service? Uh, like Akira's on Hulu and Tubi. And then uh, Solid State Society is like two bucks on YouTube. Here it is. <laughs> All right. All right. So <laughs> the way we broke this down, I'm not very hopeful, but I'm a man of my word and I'm putting my all into this. Okay. Now, that being said, I don't know if I like Akira. I am not one for these artsy, like cinematic movies, but I know that this movie is beloved and I might appreciate it more in my own. You know, having watched 140 movies for this podcast, I think. Um, So regardless, I'm glad I have an excuse to sit down, watch it all the way through. Um, But I'm hoping for the best nonetheless. Um, Alex, did you want to uh, bring anything up for our freeballing segment? I got nothing for freeballing. Okay, so I have one thing for freeballing. Yesterday, for the 40th anniversary of the movie, I went in theaters to go watch Star Trek II The Wrath of Khan. Uh, 1982 is when that movie came out for all of you math slowpokes. And man, that movie was so good. Ooh, that movie was so good. I don't think it's a good starting point for... It's not a good standalone movie, is what I'm trying to say. I think that movie does a really good job of bringing everything that we have been invested into that franchise up to that point. And it just feels like a love letter to the concept of Star Trek, to the people that love Star Trek, and the relationships that they have been building up to that point. Specifically, I think Kirk and Spock have such a genuine and a wholesome relationship in that movie. Like, I'm going to be honest. I cried. I cried during this movie. Um, I think this is the second oldest movie that I've ever cried to. And wow. it is like genuinely one of my favorite theater experiences in recent memory. Um, I had been purposefully waiting to watch this movie because I knew they were re-releasing it. And I'm like, I got to see it in theaters. It is a lot of people's favorite Star Trek anything. Um, I think a lot of it comes down to that was the Star Trek that came out when they were kids. Mm -hmm. But uh, this movie holds up. It doesn't rely too much on special effects, which is really cool. And the special effects that they do have don't look that dated. So I think that as far as like old school sci-fi goes, like it's top three, definitely. Wow. Like, like I really can't think of any other movie other than like Empire and Return of the Jedi that like match that movie beat for beat in terms of old school sci-fi. So I'm giving it like an eight and a quarter. There's still some parts of the movie that I didn't love, but like, man, I had such a good time watching that movie and I'm glad I was able to see it in theaters. Like very, such a good experience. Um, but yeah, that's all I have. Uh, next week, as you uh, experienced, we are watching Akira and 
that's all I have uh, until – oh, um, for Small and Tall this month, we're watching the Mummy franchise, and I'm very excited about that. That is going to be sweet, dude. Shout out Brandon yeah. Fraser making the news recently. Yes, yeah. Uh, for The Whale, dude. I'm excited to see that movie. As of recording this, uh, this is the day after he got that almost seven-minute standing ovation for The Whale. So we're, uh, we're excited to watch the Mummy franchise in all of its glory and not glory. Uh, uh, but until then, my name is Craig Wells, a.k.a. Permanent Handle. And I'm Alex Good, a.k.a. Alex Good. Have fun, be safe, and make good choices. And while you're at it, tell your mama said hi. See you next week. Deuces. Deuces.